0: Well good morning New Life Fellowship community. It is such an honor and an absolute pleasure to have the opportunity to be here to gather with you online today. I wish that we were in person, certainly, I'm sure we all do, but I'm grateful that we can stay connected online or maybe for some of you this morning you're gathering in smaller physically distant groups. If we're meeting for the first time, my name is Crystal Morris And our family considers New Life Fellowship to be like a second home. One of the great blessings that I have appreciated during this time of isolation and physical distancing is the ability to gather online with you every week. It's really helped me feel connected into the community in a more regular way because we live out of town from where you typically gather in person when you gather in person. Well, Jesus has taken me on a wild and beautiful adventure of healing over the last three years. In fact, it was almost three years ago to the day that I first set foot into Crossways to Life to seek Jesus and what it meant to live in His abundant life, to find freedom in His love, mercy and grace has been such a blessing to my life and it's one that I pray everyone will have the opportunity to experience too. And that gift really came wrapped up in a package that looked a whole lot like other people. Friends, some I made on the way, some that I already knew. So much of the encouragement that I have received in my walk with Jesus has come through other people. Sometimes it's a word, or a phone call, a seemingly random text message, or a devotional forwarded to my inbox because it made somebody think of me. All of these moments have been little moments of grace in my walk with Jesus. So as we've turned the calendar over to July and I reflect back on these last four months of physical distancing and isolation, I find myself treasuring those moments just a little bit more. Like many of you, I'm sure, Papa has placed people in my life on purpose and for a purpose. And I love being with those people and gathering with them. Except we can't really do that right now. The isolation has brought with it these intense moments of feeling like I am hanging on to a thread of Jesus' garment to remember who I am in Christ. Because the truth is, I have had many moments over the last four months where I have felt unseen, forgotten, and invisible. I've sat in the bottom of my closet with a cup of tea and a Kleenex box crying out to Jesus, asking him where he is when I am buried under mountains of dishes, toys, candy wrappers from treats my kids think I don't know they're sneaking, and the weight of being separated from my friends who always lift me up. And Jesus whispers back, I'm still here. And I think sometimes we know that in our heads to be true, but we can question it when it's not part of our experience in a given moment. I know isolation has given many opportunities for my inner mean girl, that's what I call the voice of shame in my life, my inner mean girl, to tell me I'm alone, insignificant, unvalued, forgotten, and failing through this season but then I've also seen Jesus step into those moments in glorious triumph to remind me who I am in him. And that leads me to, sh- to what Papa has put on my heart to share with you today. We are a community. We have a togetherness and a shared experience that is crossing the boundaries of physical distancing, physical distancing and isolation. And it has the potential to really bring us together. We can still love our neighbor and love one another and be lifted up in community. Even when we can't get together. If I'm honest, the biggest battle I have faced in this time of isolation is the enemy yelling the lie at me that I'm alone. That I'm the only one who feels tired, exhausted, forgotten unseen and like I have nowhere to belong in this season. And it can be hard to remember the truth when I look at the circumstances around me and all of that evidence seems to highlight the isolation and perpetuate the lie. But in his goodness, Jesus is still here. And he is at work loving us right through these moments of history as we are living them, drawing us close to him, lifting us up, building us up, and strengthening us, as he desires to reveal his love in us and pour it into other people. Isolation has made me appreciate community and connection with others in ways I think I took for granted before. But it's also challenged my expectations of how Jesus will reveal himself through other people when we can't get together. And that has been a gift. Let's pray. Papa, we know that you are right here in the middle of this moment with us. We know that you love us and that you are for us. But we also know that we can forget sometimes, especially when the circumstances around us like to tell us that we're alone. Papa, would you reveal yourself to us in the middle of this moment today? Would you open our eyes to see you at work here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to take a look at Philippians chapter two today, and we are going to start in Philippians chapter two, verses one and two. Let's read it together. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul is going to go on in verses three and four to share some actions and some positions from which the church can operate, some things we can do. And we'll take a look at those in in a moment, but I think it's important to first understand what these two verses are really saying here. See, I used to think that verses three and four were like a to-do list. Like it was the manner in which I was supposed to operate in order to ensure I was being a good Christian. Until I read these two verses more closely. Because all the instructions Paul offers rest on the two words, in Christ. Encouragement in Christ. Comfort from love in Christ participation in the spirit in Christ, affection and sympathy in Christ. What does that mean? How does this give us a position from which we can love one another? Let's take a closer look at it. So encouragement in the original language is something that flows out of our hearts. But if you look it up in a concordance, it will actually describe the meaning of the word alongside reference to the bowels, or inner organs. It has an intensity to it, and it wells up from deep places inside of us. And the intention of encouragement in the meaning of the original language, combined with the root word, is to offer hope and courage. So it is offering hope and courage from the heart it is this rich offer of blessing that flows out of us and into the lives of other people. Whether it's being offered because someone is maybe feeling down and discouraged or because they're taking their next step with Jesus and it's so exciting, and then every reason in between. You know, I often think about how different it was for the apostles to stay in touch with friends, co-workers and communities during that time. The letters to the churches in the new Testament, particularly those that are written by Paul were often written from prison. Often he was in another country and then those letters were sent to the churches with other people. So there were no airplanes or no trains to make that go any faster. And there was no social media at their fingertips to offer that encouragement or instruction. It took effort to connect with and encourage people who were not immediately gathered with them. Now, the book of Philippians is an example of one of these letters. Paul was in prison at the time, and in chapter 1, he's pouring out his heart with gratitude for the church at Philippi, acknowledging the good work Christ has begun in them and encouraging them to be of one mind and one love. The more I got thinking about it, the more I realized that vast portions of the New Testament are dedicated to reminding us who we are in Christ and how to love other people because of that identity. How to encourage, uplift, pray for each other, love through conflicts, care for the poor, the sick, the elderly, the widowed, and those who live on the fringes of society. So when Paul says, any comfort from love, he is not referring to, you know, a warm and fuzzy, surface-y kind of love here. This is agape love. It is a love feast where all are welcome at the table. And in this case, comfort from love means being a vessel through which that love flows. And this is a moment in history where we need that love. Isolation, physical distancing, the much needed shift we are undergoing with the rising voices of the Black Lives Matter movement. This moment is an invitation to love. See, out of great pain, we can develop great compassion. I have found myself asking the question, What about those who live in isolation, even when it's not required? What about those, even my own friends, who experience racism or discrimination? May I gain and have compassion for those whose experience is different from my own. May my eyes be opened to understanding, and may I walk in the love of Jesus as I stand with them. John 13, verse 35, uh, Jesus said, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, loving one another is important, not only because that's how Jesus lived, but because Jesus is living within us. And he still wants to love people. Pastor Ross mentioned this last week, First John 4 love is a person and Jesus is still here. So how do we allow that love to flow through us to one another? What does a community look filled with love look like even when we can't get together? See I'm not sure about you but for me I feel most vulnerable when I feel disconnected from my community. I feel like the voice of the enemy is louder than normal and is so present in his intent to steal, kill, and destroy my spirit by wearing down my mind. It's when the lies start to come on strong, that I'm alone, that God is holding out on me somehow, that I am so fundamentally flawed I can never truly belong. The enemy of our souls is always looking for an opportunity to invite us to doubt the character of Jesus. He wants us to turn away, forget who we really are, and then try to do life independent of of Jesus. Combating the lie that we're alone begins with rooting ourselves deeply in the truth of our identity in Christ. I spent a lot of years only knowing half the truth about my identity in Christ, only half the truth of his love for me. I knew I was saved. I just didn't know I was also free. Accepted, loved, wanted, seen. In Galatians 5 verse 1, Paul says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in who you are in Christ because of what he did on the cross and what happened to you and I there. The old is gone, the new has come. What the enemy wants us to believe is the polar opposite of the full love and acceptance extended to us by Jesus and his finished work on the cross. We are fully loved and fully accepted in him right now. So when the lies come, we can choose to further isolate ourselves and start into a cycle of self-protection. That's one option. We can believe that we have to do life on our own because no one else could possibly understand or have compassion towards us and the things that we're facing inside of our own minds. We can put up our guards, build our walls, and make attempts to keep ourselves safe. Attempt to do life on our own, struggling our way through while the enemy whispers lies in our ears about how forgotten we really are. Or we can stand firm, and we can reach out to our community. And in that moment, community may look like one person we can trust. There really was a day in April where I sat on the floor of my master bedroom closet and cried, and I sat there for three hours. I had my cup of tea, I was propped up in a pile of laundry, and I threw my head back on the wall and I was looking up at my ceiling, and begging Jesus to reveal himself to me in the middle of that very difficult moment. See, if you're like me, sometimes you know the attack is happening, but you don't necessarily know how to stop it. In that moment for me, it almost feels like backpedaling down a slippery slope with no brakes. And then my phone buzzed. And honestly, I almost didn't look at it, but I felt the nudge to do so, so I did and I flashed it on, and I saw the name of a good friend, and the message was short enough that I could read it on my lock screen. And it said, I was thinking of you. How are you doing today? That was a sacred moment of grace and an example of community in action. So I took a picture of my view, which was the roof the ceiling uh, of my closet, I sent it to her, I explained where I was and what was happening, and I'm not convinced that she read to the bottom of my text message because my phone rang so fast. And she listened, and she encouraged me, and she made me feel seen. She was a vessel through which love and hope flowed to me in that moment. See everything that was familiar to me in my life at that time had changed. Like most of us, the routines were gone. The spaces where we usually do life were all closed and we couldn't follow that rhythm of our lives that we had become to call familiar. The removal of familiarity invites us to trust Jesus in new ways. Familiarity breeds comfort. Whether it's our surroundings, people, places, routines, and so on, The way we live our lives in familiar spaces helps make us feel comfortable. And when we feel comfortable, we feel safe. We know what to expect. We know the rules. We know the boundaries and how to play the game. And I think by instinct, a lot of times, we make an effort to stick to familiarity as a means of self-protection. We can struggle with change because we're not sure if we'll still be safe. But when familiarity shifts, like it has in the last four months, we can then find ourselves trying to pull life up by the bootstraps and start relying on ourselves to make sure we're okay. I kept telling myself that everyone else was experiencing the exact same thing. Everyone else was experiencing pain and loss. And how could I possibly burden them with my pain and loss? That was the lie I was believing at the time. Well, Paul's circumstances and surroundings were changing all the time. And when he thanks the Philippians for standing with him in his imprisonment, he tells them in Philippians chapter four, verses 11 to 13. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Jesus is our strength. But may we not put in a box the manner in which He chooses to strengthen us. May we be open to receiving that strengthening in whatever manner He chooses to give it to us in that moment. My friend who sent me the text message was also a participant in what the Spirit was doing in that moment to respond to my cry for comfort. So when Paul says any participation in the Spirit, another word that can be used here is fellowship. Now, I'm not sure about you, but for me, when I think about fellowship, I think about hanging out with all of you after church on a Sunday morning, and I'm very much looking forward to when we can do that again. But that's not what it means here. This is an intimacy with the Holy Spirit. It is a connection and a togetherness. It's being involved in what the Holy Spirit is up to. A strong community is built on authentic relationships. And authentic relationships require trust. I really believe they work together. In order to trust, we need to be authentic. And in order to be authentic, we need to trust. Typically, when we think of authentic relationships, we might think about our friends or about our spouse. But it is also so important to have an authentic relationship with Jesus. Getting to know him, his heart, his character, and just doing life with him builds a trustworthy relationship. It allows us to trust Jesus with us. Now, the amount of Jesus that we have right now is the amount of Jesus we'll ever have. Right? He has already extended to us the fullness of his love, mercy, kindness, and grace. The Bible says his sheep know his voice. That intimate relationship with Jesus, and being able to participate in what he is doing in this moment, is fully and completely available to us in Christ right now. But we also need to be willing to listen. Pastor Ross talked about this last week, about hearing his voice. And that requires trust. There's no four-step plan. Only trust. From out of that trust with Jesus, we also need to trust that we are safe with that friend or with our spouse. That they will hold our hearts, sit with us in our hard moments without feeling the need to fix things. It allows us to take off the masks. It invites us to be who we are in our hurt, joy, doubts, and fears. See, the gift of knowing Jesus is having the ability to take off those pretty put-together masks and not only be real with others, but be real with Him too. If we are known and loved by the creator of the universe, and we are even on our worst, most unglamorous days, that lavish, overflowing love of Jesus reminds us that we are safe and secure in him no matter what. And then we can carry that into our friendships and our relationships too. I love the example of this between Paul and Timothy. Paul mentored Timothy and he invested in him. Timothy was with Paul when he wrote the book of Philippians. We see that right in Philippians chapter one, verse one. And in chapter two, Paul references their relationship as being like that of a father and son. They were co-workers and close friends. And that friendship is particularly evident in the book of second Timothy. Paul's writing this, this letter uh, of second Timothy from prison uh, near the end of his life. And in 2 Timothy chapter one, verse three to five, he says this, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Paul goes on to express gratitude for Timothy's sincere faith and encourages him to fan into flame the gift of God in him. See, authentic relationships are about being who God made us to be, but they are also about encouraging others to be who God made them to be, too. Sometimes that's sitting through hard conversations or difficult circumstances. And then other times it's saying, I see this thing Jesus is doing in you. And I see it too. I'm with you. I'm for you. And I want to support you. In this verse in 2 Timothy, Paul is also acknowledging the gratitude and the gift that it has been to participate in what the Spirit is doing in Timothy's life. And as a result, as an outcome of that, he is also encouraging his own heart at the same time. So any affection and sympathy. This, this next one is so beautiful. I love this so much. When Paul says affection and sympathy, when you combine these words together, this refers to a heart in which mercy resides and from which compassion flows. Isn't that beautiful? A heart in which mercy resides and from which compassion flows. And this reference to the heart is similar to the reference when we were talking about encouragement. It wells up with an intensity from deep within us. It's it's got a boldness to it. And it makes me think about the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. Someone in the crowd wanting to justify either their actions or inactions pipes up and says, But who is my neighbor? So Jesus goes on to tell the story of a man who was robbed and left for dead. And the priest passes by on the other side, and the Levite passes by on the other side. But the good Samaritan saw him and had compassion for him. He tended his wounds, put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and then paid the innkeeper in advance so this man would have time to recover. Culturally and socially speaking, what the Samaritan did would have been quite taboo at the time. Yet Jesus said, the one who showed the man mercy was his neighbor. So moving on to Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. It says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. If we take the original language here, Paul is basically saying, be agreed together in God's love, united in the Spirit in Christ. It's as though he was saying, this is who Christ is, Christ is in you, so go be united together. Being of the same mind and the same love flows out of our identity in Christ. It is his love and his life working in us flowing out of us and into the lives of other people. It's no wonder Jesus said that people will know we are his disciples if we have love for one another, because it's his love. This is what makes a community of love in Christ a safe space. It fosters the kind of authenticity that encourages us to remain grounded in the truth of who we really are in him. When we face hard situations or the enemy lies to us and we take that bait and we forget who we are for a moment, we can rely on that safe, loving, Christ-centered community to invite us to take off those masks of put together, fine and like acting like everything is okay when we are crumbling on the inside. It allows us to come alongside and it allows others to come alongside us in our struggles, in our pain, and remind us who we are in that moment. So Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, this way of loving others flows out of who we are in Christ. Pastor Ross talked a lot about humility last week, and this is actually the exact same Greek word that he taught us all to say, but that I absolutely still cannot pronounce. It is living life out of knowing who we are in Christ and looking to others as equals. See, we're not thinking about ourselves when we pick up the phone and we call a friend who's on our heart we're thinking about them and their well-being. We're humbling ourselves when we have hard conversations about things we don't understand, but that we want to understand so we can show love. When we're not sure how to respond to what's happening in the world around us, and we just know at our core that we simply want to love like Jesus, humility is picking up the phone and saying, I see you in the middle of this struggle. I see you in this fight and I love you, and I want to stand with you. It's a way of accepting the invitation to trust Jesus with our safety and security at all times, even when things get hard. And when we're hurting, it's also an opportunity to trust both Jesus and others with who we are in the middle of that struggle and pain. Knowing Jesus allows us to trust him. When we accept that his thoughts toward us are too numerous to count, that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, that we fully are forgiven, that we really are saints, like Pastor Ross talked about last week, we live differently. We live out of knowing who we really are. And it makes it a whole lot easier to say, I'm struggling right now. I'm hurting. I'm confused. Will you remind me who I am? Will you pray with me? So let's read it all together. Philippians chapter two, verses one to five. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I don't want to oversimplify the importance of knowing who we are in Christ. But I think we can probably all agree that we're really good at overcomplicating things sometimes. Paul tells us that this love and this mind is already ours in Christ. It's already ours. So, how do we love our neighbor and love one another when we can't gather and even when we can? We offer hope and encouragement from the heart. We pause our moments just long enough to send a text, make a phone call, send a voice clip through Facebook Messenger, and we receive this rich blessing from others. Our inner mean girl or inner mean guy might tell us that we can't accept that encouragement from others, that maybe we can't trust them somehow, or maybe they're just saying nice things to make us feel better. But may I encourage you not to allow the enemy to steal the hope and encouragement Jesus wants to pour into your life through other people. We offer comfort from love, that agape love feast where all are welcome at the table. We allow ourselves to be a vessel through which that love flows, taking the time to see our friends, neighbors, and coworkers the way Jesus sees them invited, wanted, known, significant. By trusting Jesus with who we are in him, we can allow that love to flow through us and bless the lives of other people. And when that blessing gets poured upon us, we can receive it without shame or fear, because it flows from Jesus. We participate in what the Spirit is doing. We quiet our hearts and minds to listen for His voice as we go about our day, taking time to talk with Him, doing life with Him, enjoying Him, living life with Him by our side. He is still here and He has a desire to lavish His goodness, kindness, love, grace, and mercy on us and on others through us. When He places someone on our hearts, we pray for them, we, we reach out to them, we send them that text, whatever it is he nudges you to do in that moment when he places them on your heart. Because maybe they're sitting in the bottom of their bedroom closet crying, wondering if Jesus still loves them. And by responding, we get to be part of this beautiful moment that reminds them and says, I see you, you are loved, you are known, and you are treasured right now. We offer affection and sympathy. We allow the truth of our identity in Christ to continue unfolding from within us, a heart in which mercy resides and from which compassion flows. Stepping into difficult moments when the vulnerability and the trust required to build authentic relationships still means we are safe and secure in Christ. In this way, we are building great unity in the church because it flows out of Christ in us. We're fostering a community that draws us closer in together in Christ and closer to one another, building a sense of safety and compassion. A community that is of one love and one mind in Christ fosters belonging, creates a sense of belonging. And when we experience a sense of safety, compassion, and belonging, it becomes a whole lot easier to refute the lie that we are alone and forgotten by God and this world. It makes us stronger as a community, but it also makes us stronger as individuals. We know Jesus has us safely in his hands, and we know our community has our back. Knowing Jesus Believing in His finished work on the cross and experiencing His goodness, grace, and presence with us in our everyday moments allows us to trust Him and others with us. Trust builds authentic relationships and authentic communities. And authentic community helps debunk the lie that we're alone. And it all starts with knowing Jesus doing life with him, and listening for him. He's with us in every single moment, loving us and desiring to love those around us through us. We simply get to be who we are in Christ and let him live his life through us. Let's pray. Papa, thank you so much for your love and your life in us. And your desire to do life with us. As we go about our days today and throughout the week, I pray, Papa, that our hearts would be open to receiving encouragement, love, mercy, and kindness through other people, and that we would also be sensitive to hear your voice and participate in what you are doing as we love one another. And may we be strengthened in our community because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, New Life. Have an amazing day. You are loved.